I definitely wrestled with it in my head thereafter. And I know lots of other people did as well. I think that's a pretty natural and common thing when someone we're close with does something as drastic as this. We, we instantly turn to the self and think, what could I have done better? That's Nick Bloom. He's a mental health trainer and speaker who lives to hit the message home to young people. To not reject what they're going through or to feel like they have to dodge it or avoid it or justify it to anyone. But the simple message that it's okay to be whoever you are and however you are in that moment. Nick witnessed his mum's mental health struggles throughout his youth and was fascinated by the problem he couldn't fix. I couldn't grasp the, the magnitude of the things that she was facing as a kid. He was there for a close friend in his 20s who ultimately died by suicide after years of distress, a tragedy that's had an immense impact. It was just such a surreal experience. There was just such a flooding of, of different thoughts and emotions and regrets. The last 24 months has been a transformational time for Nick, motivated by the difficulties faced by those close to him and the desire to do something more. He stepped away from an unfulfilling career and took the leap into the mental health space where he's now having an impact at schools and organisations across Australia. The biggest thing I advocate is go out and get some support and explore what fits and what works and, and what doesn't fit and what doesn't work. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Looking to spoil your better half this Valentine's Day? Well, Medley Jewelry has you covered with quality pieces, including 10-carat gold necklaces, engravable pendants, and their best-selling diamond letter jewelry. Search www.medleyjewelry.com.au and use our code YOUNGBLOOD15 for 15% off. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Nick, tell me about your relationship with your mum growing up. Yeah, it's a really significant one. Um, and I guess the starting point is my parents' divorce at a really young age when I was two and a half years old, which naturally bound my mum and I together really closely as, as we lived together. Yeah, she was always and still is a really warm and, and loving and empathetic presence in my life. Uh, but she did face some some struggles and some challenges through my youth. Uh, and that's possibly led me to, to where I am today. What sort of struggles? Yeah, so it's a, a bit of an eclectic mix of things. Um, she's been diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, she had some postnatal depression, uh, had some different other bouts of anxiety and depression as well. Uh, so really, yeah, she has definitely had some immense struggle and, and some dark days throughout childhood, I would say. And how much did you understand that as a kid growing up? Definitely did not understand it. Uh, I don't want to lay claim to having understood any of that, really. Uh, I think it was possibly something subtle in my subconscious that maybe I was aware that something was not quite right or I was a little bit uncomfortable, but I couldn't grasp the, the magnitude of the things that she was facing as a kid. Mm. Definitely did tickle some sort of curiosity in me though. I, I didn't have language at the time, 25, 30 years ago for what mental health is. 
but there was something in the back of my mind ticking over as a kid like something something's a little bit off here and what role did you play for her in helping her through that obviously you're just a kid but just by virtue of you being around or how did that affect your relationship with your mom so my brother and i were really a significant piece in the puzzle that that kept her going through some challenging times and even though i was you know a, a bit of a rebellious kid i don't think i was too difficult or challenging overall um definitely was a mama's boy and <laughs> leaned on her and depended on her a lot just endless love with for her and would always take her side and, and felt like she also always had my back too so i guess i didn't proactively do anything to support her because i thought she was struggling it was more just i was you know so in love with her as a mother i just wanted to you know spend lots of time around her be with her and yeah just enjoy sharing our time all right man that is cute i hope your mom listens to this she'll be gushing <laughs> i'm sure she will <laughs> i'm sure uh, she will what did that mean for your relationship with your dad then if you were with your mom yeah that's a more tricky one so my dad so he's actually profoundly deaf so completely deaf from birth and his mother passed away when he was 19 years old in a, in a pretty freak accident and various complicated reasons he had a checkered relationship with his father so that's a little bit of the context behind um him before he met my mum. then they were married and then pretty quickly when i was two and a half years old they got divorced so definitely some issues and challenges he'd faced in his, his life that has you know shaped him or warped him in some different ways and although there's definitely love there between us and, and a lot of love and a lot of closeness there probably isn't the depth of connection that i have with my mother uh, or my grandfather who's who's kind of filled some of the gaps in the the fatherhood mentorship space and it seems like you turned out okay in the end well you said that not me um <laughs> but yeah look I'd, I'd like to think that whatever orthodox or unorthodox things my my family did it's helped to shape me who i am today and and they seem to be proud of me and I'm pretty proud of myself too. So yeah, no, I can thank them. Even if there was some unintentional parenting brilliance or reverse engineered parenting brilliance, <laughs> whatever they did seem to work out pretty okay. Tell me about your friend. Yeah. So, so obviously there was that journey with my mum throughout my youth. And then in my very late teens, uh, after I'd kind of developed a little bit and, and gone through my own little struggles in school and was starting to grow into myself, it's kind of like the universe knew I was ready for a really dynamic and, and powerful friendship in my life. So when I was, I think I was 19, met my friend whose name is Tamar and yeah, we really hit it off um, as friends. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I've described it as friend zone love at first sight. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just a really special, unique relationship, one that I, I don't think I've ever been able to replicate and maybe could never replicate again with another human. What was it about that friendship that was different to others? Well, for a start, as a teenager, I was, I was a boy's boy and I had absolutely no idea how to conduct myself with the opposite sex. So just by virtue of her being a female and a really close friend. Did she teach you some hard lessons that you needed to learn? Oh, she certainly brought me into line many times. I would say she she was a she was a good energy for me to bounce off. But yeah, I mean, look, we had some fun and, and wild adventures, and festivals, and travel, some really in depth conversations. But I think 
the biggest piece of the uniqueness was that she was a really complicated, intelligent, um, diverse and eclectic human being. So there was just a real richness to her being in my life and then the dynamic that that created between us. And did she always have mental health challenges since you knew her or did that develop over time? Yeah, so she did have some challenges in her teenage years before I met her. And then when we started getting to know each other in my late teens and and very early 20s, it kind of started to manifest about 6, 12, 18 months into the relationship. I started to realise there were some little things there that I hadn't really been exposed to before. She'd have... um, a certain episode or a certain incident um and yeah that was that was a big shock to my system and, and something really new and fresh to me and really challenging uh, and in some ways it kind of froze me up i wasn't really sure how to react when she was in that state of struggle it kind of took me back to some of the feelings i had as a little kid around my mum, where i didn't really understand what was going on and i felt a bit hopeless and a bit helpless and then this was the extended version of that um in my early 20s. So was that nailed down to specific mental illness that you're aware of? She did have a raft of different mental health issues um, and a few of them kind of combined together into, yeah, some, some pretty complex comorbidity, which which led to yeah some of those incidents and episodes I mentioned. So what was it like for you to be faced with that as such a young person, having a friend who's going through some intense bouts of mental distress and I've experienced that personally with friends who are struggling, not only with perhaps some of the more general types of mental health issues that we might see in anxiety and depression, but also things like bipolar, uh, which quite a different ball game. So how do you remember feeling at that time? And did you feel like you had any idea what to do or how did you react? If I go back, I think the feeling quality was really just a, a sense of shock initially. And then once I came to terms with what was going on, um, some overwhelm and some confusion. So yeah, I wasn't really sure how to approach it. I felt in over my head in some situations, I was just trying to be, you know, a loving and empathetic and warm friend as my mum had kind of drilled into me from a young age. So I felt like I, I did that well, but when it came to some specific actions of things to do, things to say, how to escalate it, who to bring into the picture, I really had no idea I was making it up on the fly, but I was lucky though, that I was supported by uh, partners of hers at the time that that there were a couple at different stages, uh, some friends of hers and also her her parents who were involved through pieces that I was involved with too. Did you have situations where you felt like she was a different person or there was a part of her that scared you that you didn't know was there? I think because we had such a depth of connection and such a close relationship, I was always aware of, you know, her light side, her dark side, her when she was flourishing, when she was struggling. I think the thing that was most challenging for me, though, was when I felt like she was flourishing or we were in, like, a really fun social setting together or we were having a just an enjoyable, chilled time and she seemed to be in a great space, that that could kind of turn or that perhaps beneath the surface she had some struggles that weren't mm-hmm. so clear to me. So... It's not that she was masking it, but even though I knew her well, I wanted to fully empathize with her, but it was hard because I wasn't going through the experience she was. So although I was seeing her truth, maybe I wasn't seeing the full truth at all times. Yeah, and it's also hard in that situation if you can't personally relate having gone through the exact same thing yourself and you're trying to speak to someone about it. It's hard to say that you fully understand. You can say... 
you know, you must be feeling this way. Uh, I can imagine that, you know, perhaps you're feeling like this. This is such a difficult thing objectively for to go through. But if you can't draw on your own experience and say, I went through the exact same thing, it's very hard to reach that sort of 100% level of connection. Did she share the depth of her problems with you or was there more there than you knew? I think she pretty much did share the depth with me. Um, there were times and there were gaps where maybe I wasn't as involved or our friendship maybe wasn't as active or I didn't see her for little periods, but she was, yeah, she was very open with me. Um, I guess, yeah, in hindsight, looking back, maybe there are some certain things that weren't shared or things that I wasn't aware of throughout, but we did have a really open and honest dynamic, which which was really the beauty of the relationship. I, I felt like I could turn to her and speak with her about anything, um, which is a big privilege to have. There's not many people in the world that I feel comfortable to do that with um, as a full expression. I'm an open book, but maybe I give most people 80 to 90%. I was really able to give her close to 100%. And were you optimistic that she was going to turn it around and get all that sorted and be fine? It's a really hard question because um, I went through many different waves where I felt like, wow, yeah, things are really good, really functional. She seems really happy. She's taking some big steps in her life. And then there were other times when, yeah, I felt a little bit, um, I wouldn't say doom and gloom, but just a little bit concerned. Um, and I know that she had concerns as well about, mm. you know, when, when can I conquer this? Where you realize that they're not really in control maybe? that there are certain times where they don't have full agency over their behavior or what they're going to do. And that's scary for you, but it's also scary for them. And you're sort of left with a, well, what do we do? Like, I, I don't have anything to ref any reference point for what you should do in this sort of a situation. And for me personally, I've had experience where it's like, you might see them on a good day and it's like, oh yeah, things are getting way better and be optimistic. And then something will happen and it will be like, one step forward, two steps back kind of a feeling. Yeah, definitely. And look, it's, it's a big cliche to say, don't judge a book by its cover. But like the biggest lesson I've had in life in that realm is, is through her, that there were times when I really felt like I was tuned into how she was going, but deep down, I probably wasn't, I didn't, I didn't really know because she was a complex being in a complex situation. I'm not a professional trained in this space. And in fact, I had, no training or experience in mm. this space. I just had a bit of curiosity from my youth and, and through my twenties. But as I said, I was kind of making it up on the fly. So it was, it was pretty hard for me to, to navigate those, those deep waters. Which is the situation for 99% of people when they end up with a friend that's struggling, uh, unless you happen to be a psychologist, uh, you're going to be in that same spot and it can be super unnerving and destabilizing when you love someone and you know a certain version of them and you want to do everything that you can to try and help but it's beyond their control and it's beyond your control largely um quite a difficult mm. thing to actually have to sit and deal with how do you explain what it was like to lose her when that happened yeah so it was the middle of 2020 yeah complex times with COVID and, and lockdowns and some paranoia and confusion in the world. And I think that led to you know, a disconnection for everyone and probably a disconnection for her from different friends, different supports. And yeah, for a myriad of reasons, she decided to take her own life. And 
yeah, it's it's been a pretty considerable amount of time since it happened. And obviously it's not as raw as it once was, but it's still hard for me to talk about, even though I regularly talk about it uh, in my work that I'm so lucky to now do. But yeah. yeah, coming back to your question at the time, just shock, sadness, overwhelm. Not every piece of me felt like this was a massive surprise because I knew she'd faced immense struggle and challenge. But it's obviously a very extreme measure and yeah. something that's completely unfathomable. So, and I don't think anything could ever really prepare anyone for that to actually happen. Even if you suspect that there might be a risk there or you have concerns, it's still a big jump to it actually eventuating. And of course, you hope that it never does. And then when you get that news, like no one could get that and about someone close to them that they love and not go into shock, which is a very unique experience that I've had as well. Look, it's a cliche again, but it was just such a surreal experience. There was just such a flooding of, of different thoughts and emotions and regrets. And what are the consequences of this? What does this mean for her family, our mutual friends, our mutual communities? So that there was really... Because had you yeah, known her of, for like 10 years by this point? Yeah, yeah. So I'd known her for about a decade. Yep. Yeah. 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 All right, man. I'm, I'm really sorry about for your loss. That's um, yeah, so tough. There's never really anything you can say for that. But if you've experienced it, then you know what it's like. And for me, it was just the what everyone talks about with the grief coming in waves, where initially it's mm. so overwhelming you can't even function, and then it's slowly over time it becomes less intense, but it's always there. And I still have times where I'll hear a particular song or. I'll hear some joke or see some photo, some reference to my friend that I lost the same way and um, that'll that'll set me off. But I mm. take that as kind of uh, a beautiful thing in a way. Like if I mm. end up with a tear in my eye thinking about them just out of nowhere, uh, I look at that as a good thing now because it shows that I haven't forgotten about them and they still have that lingering impact on my life so in a way that pain turns into something beautiful i think if if you choose to see it that way mm. oh that's a beautiful reflection thank you for sharing and that's that's pretty similar to how i see it as well i think my mum positively conditioned me at a young age to really just release my emotions and express my emotions and wear my heart on my sleeve and share how i feel so if I do get those reminders in life about Tamar, and it, it happens quite a lot. I mean, we had a lot of mutual friends. I've become very close with her younger brother, who's a, who's a pretty special person in my life. So I do get these reminders quite often, um, whether it is, yeah, just like a funny little moment or, or seeing someone kind of spark something for me. And it's, yeah, it's lovely just to feel like there's still a piece of her with me and that just by virtue of her being on planet earth, like her legacy will, will carry on in some ways through all of the different people that she, she touched. So I think another thing that yeah, helps, which you probably do as well, is you try to embody the qualities that you respected in that person. Um, like I certainly really respected and admired my friend for his work ethic and his positive attitude and just the way that he relished wanting to live life. And I've, tried to adopt that as much as possible into my own life sort of as a way of honoring that person in a way they live on in you 
yeah, it, it's a cool way to look at it. And it's it's something I've thought about as well with reference to, to Ma. And I think one of the one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle that I've taken away from her and our shared experience, all the times that we'd be out in social situations or, or with other people or reflecting on experiences with other people, she was very, very welcoming and very non-judgmental. She could go to, you know, some sort of gathering with a huge amount of strangers, a really eclectic group of people, and she'd kind of just float her way through and, and and have a you know happy, positive little influence on everyone. So that's something that I've tried to take away. I know that <clears throat> going to a private school and being in a really tight-knit community and growing up in a bit of a bubble, when I exited that in my 20s, I was pretty cutthroat in the way that I rejected that community and moved forward through some friendships yeah and parts of me stand by that other parts of me feel like yeah i could have been a bit more gentle and a bit more kind and and that there are still some people that i knew of from 10 years ago that i feel resistance to seeing but when i think of tomorrow i'm like you know what they're just a human just like me they go through struggle just like me they have you know ups and downs positives and negatives so maybe i should just try to meet them where they're at and, and see if there's anything there so yeah, really, she had a a very non-judgmental, open, um, compassionate, and loving approach just to anyone and everyone, and that's that's a really big thing that I'm trying to embody in my life, also in my work as well. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. Did you go through a period of blaming yourself at all? <sighs> yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was in contact with her in, in the build-up and, and there were some different things that transpired. And I, I don't think the rational part of myself blame myself. It's not a very like, rational thing though, is it? No, it's not. Like, of course, there's always things that I could have said or maybe done better and maybe would create some little change and there'd be a chain reaction difference of events. But I'm realistic enough to know that I only knew what I knew at the time. I did the best I could with what was at my availability. Um, and then ultimately what will be, will be. Now I didn't reach that place of yeah. grounded acceptance straight away. That took quite a lot of time to come. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I beat myself up, but I definitely wrestled with it in my head thereafter. And I know lots of other people did as well. I think that's a pretty natural and common thing when, someone we're close with does something as drastic as this we we instantly turn to the self and think what could i have done better you know why yeah. did this have to happen how, how could i have impacted it but ultimately you'd drive yourself mad wanting those answers wanting to know exactly what was going on in those final moments or if you should have called or what and the, it is natural to go through that but you have to get to a point i think once you're exhausted and you can't cry anymore you need to reach that point of acceptance but yeah, that, that was really hard for me. That took me quite a while to get there as well, especially if you felt like you were really close to them and they listened to what you said and then you think that you could have maybe swayed that. But I think it's important for people to remember that ultimately it's never your responsibility. Like No matter what the scenario is, like everyone is responsible for themselves at the end of the day. So how has, um, how has going through this experience informed the work that you do now? Yeah, well, very significantly. Um, I guess taking a backward step before I get to that experience, I think, yeah, so the struggles of my mother and my youth tickled this curiosity and then my friendship with Tamar kind of sparked it even more. And then there were a couple of different community groups and sharing circles that I was part of and helped to build. And that really showed me 
there's some more meaningful work out there. I can have a bigger impact than what I'm having now. I can actually do something purposeful. And at the time you were doing some work that you felt wasn't particularly meaningful or fulfilling. 100%. Yeah. I, I actually had a lot of shame about the work I was doing. It didn't even feel mundane. I actually felt like it was having a negative impact on society. So yeah, me discovering these community groups and sharing circles and, and learning about how to build community was really nourishing and fulfilling. And that, and that sparked another little curiosity in me about mental health or, or running events or running workshops just to, yeah, just to get people sharing and talking and, and opening up. And then ultimately losing Tamar was really the huge kick up the ass that was like, okay, Nick, you're approaching 30 you're in the midst of this huge pandemic, like the world's kind of collapsing around you. You don't have kids, you're not married, you don't have a mortgage, you don't run your own business. It's time to actually pursue what you want all yeah. in. Cause I'd been doing a bit of a, a half-baked job for a few years, doing some courses, workshops, and applying for some jobs and meeting some people for coffee. And you know, I made some good headway in progress, but I was a bit lost and I wasn't really sure how to enter the mental health world without a clinical background. Yeah. And even though I still didn't have that clarity after Tamar, um, for better or for worse, the way that I reacted after her loss, um, after a short period of time was, I want to find some answers. I need to find some meaning in my life and I need Mm. to find some meaning from this experience and her loss. Going through that, realizing those things, deciding to change it up and go after something more meaningful, what did that do for you as a person? did a lot for me. it really helped me get to a better place of acceptance about what had happened. And it really just, yeah, filled up my cup in so many ways that I was like, okay, I I actually have something I can throw myself into that I, that I care about instead of working a job that's helping to, you know, pay the bills and and provide a nice lifestyle. So I I actually had something and I was like, this is meaningful. This is stimulating. And as opposed to having shame about my work and trying to remove that from my sense of identity and sense of self, as I previously had done, very quickly I was realizing it's now the opposite. I'm like, wow, this is a a sense of my identity I really want to embrace and and share with people to, you know, not only have a positive impact on the people I work for and I work with, but also my community. Like maybe just a really basic thing I'm doing can spark something for someone else and then they can go chase and pursue what they want to do. Mm. So it, it really gave me a big pillar in my life that I could build things around. It gave me direction uh, and really ultimately it gave me my why in life, I would say. Yeah. Sounds like the right call. Now just tell us a bit about <laughs> the work that you do do now. Yeah. So after Tamar's loss, um, a few different things ticked over in the middle of 2020. Um, I discovered mental health first aid Australia. Uh, and I also discovered an organization called Batia. So I, there were various different ways that things kind of came about, but I, you know, I did a course and a program and, and workshops with these different places. And then really, I just continued to follow up and was really proactive with them. And by the end of 2020, that had uh, manifested or crystallized into a couple of different roles. <clears throat> so Mental Health First Aid Australia, I became a trainer with them. So effectively teaching everyday Australians, well, increasing the mental health literacy of everyday uh, Australians in the the mental health space around depression, anxiety, uh, psychosis, substance use by yeah, running different workshops, training 
businesses, community groups, and and also individuals. So that came into my life at the end of the year. And then Batia, which is a preventative mental health organization, it's, it's by, by young people and for young people. So it's very youth led. And I became a speaker there whereby I share my lived experience story, similar to what I've shared to you now. Um, pretty much my story through the lens of my mother and Tamara and my experiences. So I go out to schools mostly, but also universities, tapes, workplaces, and sporting clubs, just sharing my story as part of a facilitated workshop uh, to do with mental health. So that was the first two pieces of the puzzle uh, that manifested late 2020. And then once that happened, for someone who didn't have a clinical background in mental health, all of a sudden I became legitimized in the space and I was able to platform off those roles and secure a couple of other different roles. Uh, I was working for an organization called Project Rocket. uh, That's an anti-bullying organization in Victoria as a presenter. Uh, And very recently that, that role concluded as I've now started a new role with Man Cave. Yeah. So heaps of work with schools and young people. What's your message when you go and speak or you go and facilitate workshops? Do you nail it down to one or two things or what are you trying to achieve when you go there? I think the biggest thing I'm trying to achieve is giving young people permission to, to really feel their feelings. Um, and to, to not reject what they're going through or, or to feel like they have to dodge it or avoid it or justify it to anyone. But the simple message that it's okay to be whoever you are and however you are in that moment. So for me, I guess I, through, through Batir in particular as a speaker and sharing my story, what I'm trying to effectively model is that maybe I haven't faced a mental health issue or mental health illness, but by virtue of being surrounded by people who have, I've had my own struggles related to that and that's okay. So a message that I try to transmit um, as someone who hasn't had a diagnosed mental health illness is that the carers and the family members and the friends and the support networks, they also need their own care, their own support networks, their own self-care strategies. So that's a really big thing that I want to champion to young people. And how's that been received? What sort of responses do you get? Uh, Well, I'm in a privileged position where sharing my story is is a very vulnerable thing that's very well received by young people in the school so i get a lot of a lot of really lovely positive reflections uh, i've had some messages from young people just about thanking me for sharing my story and how it's you know given them a bit of permission to open up about theirs and, and to really exactly as i said kind of face what's going on in their life um so yeah it's 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 a really privileged position i'm i'm in um, when, when I look at the mental health world, I guess there's the preventative area, the early intervention area, and then the treatment area. Yeah. And I think being in the treatment area, from everything I understand, is, is just such a, a demanding, intense place to be in, as is the early intervention area. And of course, the preventative space is tough. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it doesn't really punish or diminish my mental health at all. I don't, I don't feel a sense of overwhelm doing the work I'm doing. And it's, Mm. it's a much more comfortable space for me to be in, in the preventative space. All three spaces are very necessary and important and woven together. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm basically trying to say is I feel like I get a lot of the good and a lot of the rewards without too many challenges that one might face if they're in those more intense spaces. Yeah. It's great. Uh, in your mind, 
what do you believe people who are trying to help someone close to them who's struggling with mental health need to remember about going through that process and supporting that person? Yeah, it's a, it's a deep one. Um, I guess the overarching principle is to, yeah, have, have honesty with the person, um, transparency as well about how you're feeling. Like maybe they've shared something that's really big and you feel a sense of overwhelm and you say like, Hey, if it's cool with you, could we, could we involve someone else? Uh, maybe could we just take a little break for a second? I'd love to grab some resources if you're cool with that. So I think the biggest thing is just to meet people where they're at with a, a loving and empathetic and warm shoulder, uh, to not be afraid to ask for help as well. It's, it's a really heavy load. And I mean, I describe it as a burden of love when someone comes to me with an issue, like it's so, I feel so privileged and it's so rewarding and, yeah. and it's honoring that they're coming to me. But of course it is burdensome because I care about them and I'm, I'm concerned about them. So to kind of spread that burden of love with love to other people and to include them in the piece with the consent and the permission of the person who's sharing with me. So really just trying to be there for them, but to spread the load as much as we can, whether that's to family members, friends, partners, community groups, or, or and or professional help, which is a really necessary piece in the puzzle. Yeah, and being there for someone in that condition, whether it be severe mental illness or suicidality, it's actually a really hard thing to do, even if you don't realistically do much, like just showing up or being willing to be there while that's happening takes a lot of guts because a lot of people would just give it away or try to forget about it because it's too confusing or it's too hurtful. So just finding a way to still show up takes real courage, I think. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think actively listening to a person without interrupting and thinking of the next answer when they're sharing is an important thing and also really communicating in a non-judgmental way. I know that's something I did with Tamar and it was subtle and nuanced, but at times when she'd share things, a part of me would almost like very slightly guilt trip her towards not doing it. And that wasn't a healthy way for me to respond because that almost pits me against her or would make her feel even more isolated or alone in the experience. So I think a really important thing and, and, you know, words can be, empty but non-judgment is just so important as much as possible as as humans like we we have judgment in our system naturally like we see a situation we see a person and we automatically judge it for better or for worse Mm. but the power that we have is the choice with what we do with that judgment so if we can see that judgment and effectively physically put it to the side and see that person or situation or event on its merit that's a really effective way to to meet a person where they're at and then I think that if we can do that when it, when it comes to suicide uh, or suicide ideation uh, and speaking with a person, it's, it's a really uncomfortable, difficult place to be in for anyone. Even, I mean, I, I've done some training in this space. So I feel more comfortable with it, but I haven't been put in that position ever since. Even for professionals who this is their, their job, like it wouldn't ever be easy Um, you know, maybe they'd have some skills and some nuance around what to say and what to do, but it's a really tough thing, but it's such a powerful thing. If we can be there for a person and show them that we care and that we're concerned, but also that we're willing and able to talk about suicide, that's a really rare skill. Most people in society are unable to do that. 
Yeah. And rightfully so. It's like such a tough thing without training. It's our emotions go into overdrive and it's really difficult to know how to navigate that land. But mm. even as you just said, doing the smallest things can really make a difference. I mean, maybe someone's gone through a traumatic incident and we don't know who they are and we don't know what to do. And we can just get them a glass of water or offer them a jumper or something or crowd control a bit and, and move some people away from the scene. So whether we do really small actions or really big actions, it doesn't matter. We just do the best that we can in the moment. And what may seem small to us might be enormous for the person that we're helping. So as much as we can possibly do in the moment is, is the best that we can do. Yeah. Great point. How do we, how do you go from preaching a message like this to actually getting people, especially young people to implement that in their own lives? Well, it's a, I guess it's tough in some ways in my roles uh, with young people. So I'm a speaker with Batir and, and I talk about some different supports that I've accessed. I'm trying to model that behavior to, to motivate them to access it. Uh, in my role at Project Rocket, it was more anti-bullying and youth empowerment focus. So mental health was a banner that came beneath it. I'd say most of the championing I do of of seeking out support, seeking out help, and particularly seeking out professional help is my work with Mental Health First Aid Australia. But mm. the courses that I teach are, are with adults. So I guess regardless I guess regardless of the message that you're trying to get through and regardless of the group that you're trying to speak to as a speaker and a communicator, what do you think the keys are to really hitting home with those messages so that people feel it and then actually take action, which is the ideal outcome, but obviously not easy to do? I think just the the relatability piece to show that, yeah, maybe I haven't experienced X, Y, Z. Maybe there's some, some gaps in my life experience or gaps in my game, but here's what I did to help me. And this is what worked for me. It might not work for you. So go out and explore the things that work for you. So really, I, I think it just comes down to, to modeling the behavior for people and then giving them a, a bit of a roadmap and some permission to be like, hey, Maybe you see a psychologist one time and you really don't connect with them. Consider them like, you know, a prospective partner you're dating. You know, it might take one, three, five, ten psychologists, for example. So it's it's a very individual experience. And and something I champion at Mental Health First Aid is not just professional help, but appropriate professional help. So really customized specifically to a person and their situation and their needs. So I guess the biggest thing I would say for people is here's what I've done for me. I'm not telling you what to do. Maybe something will be useful for you. But the biggest thing I advocate is go out and get some support and explore what fits and what works and, and what doesn't fit and what doesn't work. Yeah, it's not a one size fits all sort of deal. And where have you got to with your own mastery of your mind at this phase of your development as a human being? mastery of the mind that's a big one um well if, if i start a little bit smaller with i guess like my mental health and well-being which is obviously a pretty big piece of the puzzle i feel like i'm in a really strong and stable and supported place um and it's a combination of feeling really lucky and also making my own luck so i feel really lucky that in whatever way shape or form my beloved slightly dysfunctional family has always been there for me in so many different ways to to support me um 
emotionally, mentally, spiritually, really vast variety of ways. And then I guess, and, and also, yeah, my, my partner is, is a massive rock in my life who, yeah, love dearly, live with, and, and she also keeps me on the uh, steady, steady, straight and narrow. And I think the other thing I would say is, yeah, also making my own luck. So, yeah, I really proactively seek out uh, healthier hobbies, healthier relationships, healthier interpersonal connections with people that that support me and fill up my cup and, and put me in a place where I feel like I can flourish. And then I guess in terms of mastering the mind, that's a journey that I'm still on. Um, but I think I'm making some good headway in that space. Make your own luck was my first tattoo. Really? <laughs> yeah. As an 18 year old. I like, I like it. As soon as it started Do you still like it? No, not really. <laughs> it's on my ribs. <laughs> as soon as it started happening, it I was like, oh my God, like I tried to I wanted to bail, but I was trying to act tough and I was like crying on this bench and sweating and like trying to act like I didn't hurt. Just remember that. But yeah, I definitely uh I I believe the sentiment still, which I then learned was also I'm pretty sure it's a quote in Batman, but I agree with you that it is up to you to a large extent to make all this happen and seize the day and your destiny. And you've certainly done that. And I love your work. And I think obviously it was the right call to step away from what you were doing. And although tragedy has befallen you, the way that you've responded and turned it into a positive and, and made it something that's helping so many other people is a beautiful thing and, and seems like it's the, the best use that we've got for you here on earth, I reckon. So I'm glad that you're uh, making the most of it. Oh, thanks so much, man. That's, that's really lovely words. And, and yeah, I, I feel that way too. I feel present Nick in this moment is, is really doing the best he can and has taken some big strides in, yeah, how I can carry forward tomorrow's legacy and, and how I can try to create a, a lasting impact on, you know, planet earth with some different people I come across in the human race. So no, I, I feel like I'm in a good place. And, and yeah, I really appreciate the the, uh, the honouring, I would call it. Keep it up, man. That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Youngblood Media, and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.